This is InfoTrack, the weekly show with information you should know. Here's what's happening on this week's show. Natural disasters can happen anytime and often reveal how underprepared people are to deal with them. A risk management expert joins us to ask some important questions about disaster prep. What are different sorts of things we could do to have prevented that? What's the psychology behind mistakes like that? And what are things that we can do to make sure that they don't happen again in the future? Then, offering a college education to prison inmates gives convicts a chance at a better life after prison. We'll hear how a college in prison program actually works. Going to college in prison correlates with radically lower rates of return to prison, but it is not a driver of higher education in prison policy. Those two stories and more are coming your way on this week's show. InfoTrack begins right after this. InfoTrack. The weekly show with information you should know. Here's your host, Chris Whitting. Science can predict natural disasters better than ever before. Yet people remain underprepared for the inevitable catastrophe and suffer the consequences. InfoTrack's Roy Mackey talks to an expert to ask why so many fail to heed disaster warnings. Roy? Thank you, Chris. We're joined by Professor Robert Meyer, the Frederick H. Ecker MetLife Insurance Professor and Co-Director of the Risk Management and Decision Processes Center at the Wharton School at the University of Pennsylvania, and the co-author of a book called The Ostrich Paradox, Why We Underprepare for Disasters. Obviously, there is some meaning to the title of your book, so let's start with just what the ostrich paradox means. Yeah, the book is all about why bad things happen to us. And often it's the case that disasters occur and after they occur, there's a lot of going back and saying, well, why didn't we do more things to prepare for it? And couldn't we have foreseen this coming? And often you kind of use the metaphor of, well, we're like ostriches and put our heads in the sand and we kind of look away from risk. Well, actually, if you think about it, ostriches are kind of paradoxically uh, incredibly good at adapting to risk. They have these inherent limitations, which is they can't fly. And so nature is allowed into adapt to that by being incredibly fast land animals and they have great abilities to elude danger. And our feeling is, is that we can kind of apply that same concept to people, that the reason that we often underprepare for disasters is actually not that we're looking away, but rather that we just don't really have the mental hardware to kind of really comprehend things that are very, very rare and lie in the distant future. And so in some sense, what we need to be able to do is think about ways of overcoming those or adapting to our own limitations. So we ought to be more like ostriches, not less like ostriches. Could you give us just a couple of examples of the sorts of disasters you have in mind? Sure. One particularly tragic story that we start off the book with is the story of Glenda Moore, who had two children, and they were living in Staten Island outside of New York, waiting for Hurricane Sandy to arrive. And even there were all these warnings on the radio and the television saying, you know, you ought to stay in your home. This big storm is coming. Somehow at the height of the storm, she got scared because her husband was living in Brooklyn and put her two children into a minivan and tried to take them to Brooklyn. But en route, their car was swamped with a big storm surge and waves took two of the children out and killed both children and she was able to survive. But it was one of these things where after the fact, people were thinking, how could this possibly have occurred? And what are different sorts of things we could do to have prevented that? What's the psychology that goes behind mistakes like that? And what are things that we can do to make sure that they don't happen again in the future, not just for individuals like Glenda Moore, but also for communities and countries? 
Yeah, it sounds like you believe that most communities in the U.S. are not properly prepared for disasters. Would that be accurate? Yeah, I think that one of the things that we talk about is the idea that communities are aware of it. And I think the problem is, is that they think that they're much better prepared than they actually are. That invariably, if you were to go to, you name the country or you name the place, whether or not they're prepared for disasters, and they would say they are. For example, one of the stories we talk about is Thailand, the country of Thailand back in the early 2000s before the great tsunami hit. And if you were to talk to officials there and say, is your country ready for earthquakes and tsunamis? they would say, well, look, this is a very, very rare event, and we're not too concerned about this, and I think we are kind of prepared for it. Well, it turned out that they were severely underprepared. They didn't have warning sirens in places along the coast that they could have had, and they had been told many years earlier, you ought to put these things in, but they think that they're much better prepared than they actually are, and many thousands of people died as a result. Your book identifies six cognitive biases that you say blind us to being prepared, and we probably don't have time to go through all six of those, but can you just tell us maybe the two or three that you think are the most important or the most common? The one that I think is sort of fundamental to all of them is this bias called excessive optimism. One of the things that's a characteristic of all the biases is these are things which are built into our brains that allow us to navigate life on a day-to-day basis, which normally help us, but when you apply them to rare events, they often can hurt us. And optimism is a great example. As human beings, we tend to be optimists. We tend to look on the bright side of life and look at ways in which good things might happen as opposed to bad things might happen. And normally, that's a phenomenal way to be. Unfortunately, when it comes to rare events or disasters, if we start thinking that bad things are things that happen to other people, not us, we can get us into severe trouble. And there's sort of lots of examples of people who, like before 9-11, for example, people who were trying to think how terrorist attack wouldn't happen rather than the way they would. And in some sense, that tends to be often the core reason why people underprepare. Our guest on InfoTrack is Professor Robert Meyer from the Wharton School at the University of Pennsylvania. He's written a book called The Ostrich Paradox, Why We Underprepare for Disasters. Dr. Meyer, what is the most important thing that government officials in charge of emergency planning could learn from your research into this topic? I think the main message that we would have is stop thinking about what people ought to be doing. And often the message that you get from emergency preparation is, hey, you need to be doing this, or hey, this is a threat, and react appropriately. And it's not really thinking through the psychology of how people on the other end of this are thinking about these things. One of the biases is a thing called the simplification bias. The idea is that often people actually, when they're making decisions or thinking about preparing for disasters, don't think about thousands of bits of information or or thinking about the many, many different things they need to do to prepare, but there's a tendency for our brains to want to simplify. So, for example, if there are 20 things that you need to do to prepare for a storm, our minds basically say, well, go ahead and do one of them, and when we do one of them, there's a natural instinct to kind of feel that we've taken care of the problem. So often the way in which governments communicate risk to people or tell them how they ought to prepare is to do things like preparation checklists, like there's a preparation checklist for wildfire. There's one for hurricanes. There's one for earthquakes. And they usually have, like, they're gone for a couple pages, and there are 50 things that people should do. They have to understand that no one's going to look through those 50 things. And the danger is that they might pick off one of them, one of them that's particularly easy to do, and their mind will say, hey, we're done. And that can create a lot of problems. So the message then is to say, okay, think more like people. And the message ought to be, if you're going to do only one thing to prepare for a hurricane, what should that one thing be? Make sure you do this. And once you've got that done, then here's the next thing you want to do. So think a little bit more like people rather than like yourselves. 
A lot of your advice does require long-term thinking and planning and expense, and that's kind of a tough sell for legislatures and citizens for something that may or may not happen down the road, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. And I think one of the things that we try to emphasize is to say, look, these things are biases. They're not going away. You can sit there and pound your fist and say, you know, hey, we ought to be thinking about climate change. Hey, we ought to be thinking about the future and so forth. And you can pound your fist and scream as loud as you want, but you're not going to change the way people's brains work. And so our feeling is, is rather than fight an uphill battle of changing the way people think, why don't we go ahead and kind of change the way we communicate and change the choices that people have such that they don't have to be farsighted. One of the examples we talk about is often one of the reasons people don't want to make investments now to protect against threats that might exist in the future is it's never really clear what you should do and when you should make this decision. So our tendency is to not do anything and kind of wait for the future to clarify when, of course, it never does clarify. So when we can kind of work around that would be to say, well, why don't we turn the tables on this way of thinking? For example, in budget setting for communities, rather than making infrastructure improvements or investments in protection be an add-on to the budget where each year you have to debate whether or not we need this, why don't we make it be such in the case that each year by default there's some investment in protection and then the argument has to be on whether or not we ought to remove that from the budget. And simply by doing that, it makes it much more likely you're going to continue to make these improvements and it doesn't require people to necessarily be long-term thinking. If you could give the average American just one or two suggestions on how to improve their own decision-making in their personal lives, what would you say? Think through not what you should be doing, but thinking about why you wouldn't be taking certain protective actions. And I think the more you become sensitive to your own psychology, the more that you become appreciative of the fact that, hey, I'm probably going to underestimate the likelihood of this happening, whether it be an accident or whatever. Imagine a household with teenage drivers and you think, well, you know, my child's probably not going to be the one that's going to have a problem texting while driving. Well, you have to kind of know that you're going to underestimate what that chance is going to be. You are going to have a tendency to simplify, overly simplify when you make decisions. And once you're kind of aware that you're prone to these different sorts of biases, then you're in a position to think about things like what are little steps that we can take to make sure that we can overcome those biases. Professor Robert Meyer from the Wharton School at the University of Pennsylvania and the co-author of a book called The Ostrich Paradox, Why We Underprepare for Disasters. Professor Meyer, do you have a website where people can learn more? Go to our Risk Center website at the University of Pennsylvania. You'll find a link over to the book. Well, thank you again for joining us on InfoTrack. Thanks a lot. And for InfoTrack, I'm Roy Mackey. Next, offering convicts a college education in prison can change their lives. That story, coming up. You're listening to InfoTrack. More after this. 